Hi, everyone. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, the host of this podcast and the founder of CoveyClub.com. If you're liking our podcast, I know that you will also like the Covey Club. Covey is a small group of birds, an intimate place where you can find like-minded women who are looking to expand their circle of friends. Finding friends as you get older can be hard. Women you meet on the soccer field fly away as their kids go off to different schools and interests. And over time, you know who you work, your work friends are. Covey Club has so many great services to help you make new friends. We have articles that take you through the new friendship how-tos. We have weekly classes given by experts in every field, creating a place for new friends to gather and chat. We even have a book club. And I'm really looking forward to our live spa trip in November where we can finally all meet up in person and I can give each one of you, my new friends, a hug. Come and join the Covey Club during our special subscription campaign from January 5th through February 14th and save a bundle. So Anne Bookma was raised in Canada in Ontario and she said in a small town of a thousand people. She was raised by Dutch immigrants in a very insular Dutch reform, very religious, but loving home. She says, I'm a product of my religion. I was taught that I was born sinful and should not mix with those outside the culture. In her 20s, she decided to leave the religion and left her family at the same time. And her family was devastated by her departure. And the reason why she left is because she went to journalism school. She said she got an education and she said the scales fell from my eyes. And most of her continual reinvention ever since has been about how to find her way back to her own spirituality, even though she might not be quote unquote religious the way her family was. But what's wonderful is Anne has written a book about her experience, which is called My Year of Living Spiritually, where she said she spent an entire year trying different religions and different types of spirituality, not religions actually, but spirituality, from Reiki to, she said, magic mushrooms, to everything, and how she learned to change her life for the better. So we have the wonderful Anne Bookma here to talk about her year of living spiritually, and how she reinvented herself from the ground up and how she eventually found her way back, even to her mother, who did not want anything to do with her when she left the religion. So welcome, Anne. I'm so glad to talk to you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about your background. Of course, what we want to go to is your book called My Year of Living Spiritually. As I said to you, I really don't have many people who've reinvented in the spiritual area. So that's kind of where I want to dig in. But let's talk a little bit about where'd you grow up and what did you start out doing and, and how did you end up in this direction? I'm a Canadian, so I grew oh, up. Oh, we love in, Canadians. <laughs> uh, happy to be a Canadian before the election, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, I grew up in Ontario, which is um, in a small town. I grew up in a small town called Fenwick, a thousand people. And I grew up, uh, I'm the child of Dutch immigrants. 
and I grew up in a very insular community. I was uh, Dutch reform, which is a fundamentalist religion, uh, very strict, you know, church twice on Sunday, young people's on Fridays, catechism classes, private Christian school. I was raised to not mix with the secular culture. I had a very loving home, but very, very insular. And, you know, I was a product of my religion, uh, a religion that taught me, you know, you were born sinful. Uh, you had to, you know, the whole purpose of life was to get to heaven. You had to abide by the Ten Commandments, uh, not mix with other people outside the culture. It was very, very insular. And um, so I am very much a product of that. I did leave that church when I was 20, that community. And basically at that time, I lost everything. I lost my entire community that I knew and my family was devastated by my departure. You know, anyone who leaves a fundamentalist uh, religion will be familiar with this experience of, it's not so hard leaving the religion maybe, but it's devastating losing your community and your family. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how you got out of that family. Cause of course there are um, many books about that. There are books I'm thinking um, of, uh, what was the one that was read? There's a couple of them. Allie Hersey's book, which was Infidel, which I'm yeah, sure you yeah. read. Mm -hmm. Orthodox. And then, yeah, Orthodox. Which yep. Was made yep. Into a Netflix uh, series. Which was excellent. Yep. Yeah. So, what made you come around to actually leaving? Because that's really very tough. Leaving is very tough. Um, and uh, what, what, what it was is I went to journalism school. You know, I went to a secular college. Uh, where the scales sort of fell from my eyes. I met people from other faith groups. I met atheists. I met a broad variety of people and I got an education. And you'll see that often fundamentalist religions uh, certainly don't want people to get an education, especially women, because uh, like I say, the scales do fall from your eyes. I took philosophy and English. My world just expanded. And I saw that the way I was raised, although it was a loving home, um, you know, was not the norm. And I made, I just didn't believe anymore. I didn't believe that my church was the only true church, which is what I was told. You know, this small sect of 10,000 people out of 7 billion people in the world, we were the only ones going to heaven. It was illogical. And um, I, you know, the church I grew up in, women could not have any position of authority. They certainly couldn't be ministers or elders. Uh, they were second class citizens. And I became, was becoming a feminist. I was reading Gloria Steinem and going on pro-choice marches and, you know, uh, just becoming enlightened. And so I left the church. I sent them a letter. They were going to excommunicate me, but I sent them a letter withdrawing my membership. And then there was a long period of estrangement from my family because they were devastated. They felt they would not see me in heaven. <laughs> you know, I think there was also an element of control um, when you're raised in a very strict home and you rebel against it. Um, it's seen as defiance and, you know, I, I, I lost a lot, but it did help me become the person I am and it did force me to become more resilient. You know, I married a Catholic, which again, you know, did not go over well. I was really raised with pretty negative ideas about Catholics, which is bizarre because they essentially believe in the same God. I went on to have a career as an editor. I had two children who are now 20 and 23 a long marriage and um, a, a recent separation two years ago, but an amicable one. And throughout that time of raising my family and having a career, I always struggled with the loss of my family, especially the loss of my mother. 
she and I had been very close. She had been a single mom. My biological father had left her when I was three. She really struggled, ended up doing well in life. Um, but she was only 18 years older than me. I felt like I'd lost my best friend. And we could not seem to find a way to bridge this great divide of religion. I tried all kinds of things. I didn't talk about religion. I um, you know, avoided certain political topics, um, but it really didn't work. And um, the relationship really suffered. I got therapy. I learned about religious trauma syndrome, which is a real syndrome. There's a psychologist called Dr. Marlene Wenell in San Francisco, who does a lot of work in this area about the trauma that can happen when people lose their families because they have a different belief system. So I did a lot of work over the years. And, um, uh, and that was partly what informed my book and my spiritual journey, because I had been raised with religion with this idea of going to church on Sunday, this was part of my, my habit, you know, and I gave it up, but then I went on a, a journey. I joined the United Church in Canada, which is a very liberal denomination. And I spent a decade there, raised my kids there. But um, there was still this idea that there was a God and it was a Bible-based church. And eventually in my early forties, I became a Unitarian and I finally found my spiritual home. And I don't know if you know much about Unitarianism, but it's a very liberal religion. Um, there's no Bible per se, just books of readings and, uh, a great belief in science and philosophy and literature and I found a home there and that really helped heal me. Hilariously, my family's Unitarian oh, too. You, Hilariously, so no one's a Unitarian. <laughs> so that's really funny. I was raised Unitarian too. Yeah. Very, very funny. Yeah. Most of the Unitarians I know are sort Goosey -goosey. of <laughs> refugees from other religions. You yes. Know? yes. And Lucy Goosey, yes. But, you know, uh, and I talk about this in my book, you know, people make funny Unitarians, you know, uh, how do Unitarians pray, dear God, if there is a God, you know. Um, that's so are you, funny. Are you so hearing true. the truck now in my, in my, yeah? Uh, no. Oh, you can't hear it. Okay, good. No. Uh, so, you know, people make fun of Unitarianism, but I will tell you, you know, it is a very serious religion and it has been at the forefront of every major social change in our world from, um, uh, from abolishing slavery to women's rights, to prison reform, to Black Lives Matter. Unitarians have been at the forefront and I'm proud to be Unitarian. And, you know, Unitarians believe, is there heaven? I don't know. It's a big mystery, right? We don't know what happens after we die. All we know for sure is today, is the here and now. So let's focus on that and not in some magical afterlife. If there is one, fabulous. I'll be there celebrating. But let's focus on the here and now. And I think that's what Unitarians are good at, is how can we make our lives better today? And how can we make the world better today? So how did, did you bring back your relationship with your mom? And how did you do that? And then... Um, what did you do for work? And when did the work, when did the book come about? So the book came about, I am a magazine journalist, and I had been writing a column for Broadview magazine in Canada, which is a uh, spiritual religion, popular magazine here with a with a focus on social justice and spirituality. And I had been writing a blog for them for four years called spiritual but secular in which I examine the habits of the 80 million North Americans who consider themselves uh, spiritual but not religious. Pew Research has done studies uh, showing that this is a really growing demographic, especially midlife women, where we are rejecting the religion of our youth, uh, but we don't want to throw out spirituality altogether. So I was very interested uh, from a journalist point of view and looking at this demographic, you know, they're 
habits, things like, you know, secular pilgrimage, everybody's walking the Camino Trail, uh, drumming circles, Reiki, um, you know, all the ways that we um, experience spirituality, forest therapy, I, I wrote about all this stuff. And after four years of writing the column, I suggested a blog to the magazine in which I would immerse myself in these practices. And the blog uh, did well, and the blog turned into a book. So uh, it's called My Year of Living Spiritually, One Woman's Secular Quest for a More Soulful Life. And I spent a year, 2017, engaged in about 24 different spiritual practices, beginning with going to the Women's March in Washington, which was an incredibly spiritual experience. I don't know if you were there, Leslie, uh, 500,000 people, you know, peacefully demonstrating for what they believed in, singing, chanting. I mean, it was, a, it was religious fervor, I'll tell you. And, uh, you know, the rest of the year, I did things like singing in choirs, I meditated every day, I went on a pilgrimage to Henry David Thoreau's Walden Pond and tried to learn from the transcendentalists. I made a home altar, you know, I gave up booze for my sort of 40 days of secular Lent, I went to a week long witch camp to learn about paganism and witches and my ideas about witches were turned upside down. It's interesting, there's just as many witches in North America as there are Presbyterians. <laughs> um, oh and I, you know, I Marie Kondo my home, I got rid of about a third of my possessions. And I did things like uh, learning to read tarot, tarot cards and using them on my friends and trusting my intuition more. I even tried magic mushrooms for the first time, which was, I'll tell you, quite the trip, very illuminating. So it was you really did it all. Oh, my God. I did. I did a past life regression session. You know, I, I just wanted the whole gamut. And I sort of joked that it was my, you know, my midlife uh, crisis adventure, because I was 56 that year. And I had my kids were pretty much launched. My marriage was in trouble. Um, I was in a midlife slump, not a crisis. But I was like, is this all there is? Like, I was trying to make some decisions about my marriage and about my mother. And I embarked on this journey to listen more to my inner self and to have some fun and to really, you know, is there anything to Reiki? Is there anything to magic mushrooms? I went in kind of with a reporter skepticism, but also a, a seeker's enthusiasm. So I was skeptical. I looked at the research for all this stuff, but I have to say everything I did had a positive effect, some kind of positive effect. Um, and it made me um, really change some things in my life. You know, talk, you talk about transformation in your podcast. Uh, it is not easy to change, especially at 56, because we get very set in our ways. But, you know, I was addicted to productivity. I felt if I wasn't producing, I wasn't worthwhile. I was always busy, hooked on busyness. In the evenings, I was probably hooked on Netflix and Shiraz, <laughs> as I think happens to many of us. We work hard all day and then we collapse at night. And uh, I didn't like that about myself. I was hooked on social media. I wasn't reading the way I used to. Um, so, you know, there were these habits in my life that I really wasn't proud of or happy with. And I wanted to, you know, sort of go within. I, I, people say, what's the difference between spirituality and religion? I think religion is looking outside ourselves for the answer, you know, to a God or a guru or a Bible. And spirituality is about looking within that whole idea of trusting our intuition, because we do know what we really want. We just have to access our inner, our inner being. You know, I know that sounds woo woo, but I do believe it, that we do have a rich interior life that needs nurturing just as much as our, our bodies and our hair and our fingernails and our homes and how well our kids are doing. All that stuff that's the exterior of our life that we focus so much energy on, 
how much are we really focusing on our interior? And that's, that's kind of what I set out to do, you know, really pay attention to that. So what did you, what was your conclusion then? If you're reinventing your whole spirituality, what did you, what did you come out with? And now that you've been a couple of years post, what has really stuck with you? Well, like I say, it is hard to change. You know, people say, are you a more spiritual person now? And I'm like, well, you have to buy my book to find out. Um, you know, I'm not the epitome of spirituality. I, you know, I don't wear kafkan robes and, you know, float from one supremely, uh, you know, enriching task to the other. But I will say my life is better. Um, I, I did change some things. Uh, the biggest thing I changed, and it sounds so simple, is I changed how I start my day. I used to start my day slamming, you know, my alarm off and going on my email, you know, checking my email in bed, going on social media. I really resist the urge to do that now. I don't start my day that way. And I just tell myself it will all be there when I get up later and have a cup of coffee. So I give the morning, you know, a good 45 minutes to myself. I um, meditate with headspace, which is super simple, 10 minutes a day, nothing dramatic. I don't need to go to a mountaintop in Bali to meditate. I just use my headspace. I journal one page a day because I truly believe it's by journaling that we understand ourselves better and get to know our own thoughts. And I have an app on my phone, a gratitude app that I tap out five things I'm thankful for. It takes literally 30 seconds. And this starts me with being focusing on positive things. The great thing about this app is it keeps a running tally of everything you've written down. So I started this in January 2017, and there are thousands of things on this gratitude app. Sometimes it's simple, you know. What's it called? So the gratitude app. If you Google gratitude app, I think it's called the Happy Tapper gratitude app. When I downloaded it, it was free. Now I think it's a couple bucks. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. And it might be a bird singing at my window or my daughter getting accepted to the program she wanted to or having a beautiful conversation with a friend. I'm telling you, if you think about it, there's always five things to be thankful for. There really is. Um, and I do a little bit of stretching to start my morning. And um, those three things, though, have really changed how I start my day. Um, I just started in a better frame of mind and the rest of the day goes goes better. And I do live across a beautiful wooded trail. And I make a pledge to myself to get out for at least 20 minutes a day because nature you know, for me, if I'm down or life is tough, there's two things that are make it better, nature and other people. And I realize this about myself. So I really focus on my friendships, making time for them, because being part of a tribe, you know, is what is so elemental to our need as human beings. And yet when we're so busy and wrapped up in all of our tasks, we let these important intimate relationships slide, right? You know, um, COVID has given me an opportunity to really focus on friendships because I usually talk to someone on my walk. I phone a friend or set up a phone conversation. So starting my mornings differently, um, I have a whole chapter in my book about death where I tried to become intimate with death. I actually picked up my own wicker coffin. I took a picture of it, gave it to my kids, told them where they could buy it. I went to a green burial uh, cemetery where I want to be laid to rest. I hosted death dinners with my friends, two of them. 12 friends around a table and we talked about um, a death we had experienced, how we hoped our death would be and what our last wishes would be. It was a very spiritual evening and very intimate to talk with your friends this way. Um, you know, becoming acquainted with death, we're all going to die. You know, it's inevitable, right? We're all going to die. And yet we push that thought away. So I did things to try to make death closer. I, there's also an app 
I downloaded that um, tells you, sends you five messages a day reminding you that you're going to die based on a Bhutanese saying that we need to contemplate our own death five times a day in order to live fully. There's also um, a deathclock.com where you can key in some information about yourself and it gives you your death day. I mean, it's pretty, pretty. And yeah, where know. are we going it with this? Depressing. It sounds depressing. <laughs> but I tell you, when you think about death, you are grateful to be alive. Yes, All right. And that's we, true. And so it really, uh, this death awareness made me think, you know, whatever I'm going through, whatever's difficult, I am alive. I'm healthy right now. I had a dear friend die four months ago and you know, it brings it home to the forefront of how all of us will be there. But I think it is important to talk about. And I did tell my children what my last wishes would be, which includes a home burial. I know that sounds freaky, but I don't want to be um, in a cement vault and I don't want to be cremated. So, you know, it allowed me to have a conversation with my kids about it. And it was really quite beautiful. So, and, and so a, a awareness of death. And I would also say, and I referred to this earlier, uh, the importance of connection with other people. I really think that um, our most basic need as human beings is to be connected to each other. And when we're not, we have trouble. We have depression, anxiety, unhappiness. Um, we re even if we're introverts, we need connection when we need to, um, you know, to really feed that connection and make time for the people who are important. And that is what makes for a more satisfying life, I think. Um, I also cut back on wine, you know, I was drinking a fair bit, you know, um, in the evenings, it took the edge off, it made me feel better. Um, and I see now I've just written a piece about women and drinking, you know, uh, the numbers are so high, we mid midlife women are one of the most dangerous categories in terms of drinking too much because our drinking escalates as we get older, it never gets less, it usually becomes more. And so, um, I really had to look at that and address that and cut back on that. And it's still a struggle for me, but I'm doing it. And I tell you, I feel a lot better, I feel a lot better. So these are some of the changes, but of course the, the two biggest things were that I had to address, you know, the two major relationships in my life. And uh, that was my long-term marriage and my mother. And uh, I did end up separating from my husband, but because I truly believe because I was on the spiritual journey, we were able to do it in a really beautiful way. I write about it in my book. It's never easy separation. I'm telling you, we had one of the best separations and it was still extremely painful, but sometimes it has to happen. And with my mother, I uh, wrote about her pretty honestly in my book. You know, she had told me I was going to hell, that my children were going to hell. She was very disappointed in me, but I also took a deep dive into her life. How was she raised? You know, my mother went to grade seven. Uh, she never got to go to school, to university. She never had the opportunities that I had. So I tried to look at her with more compassion. During the writing of the book, my stepfather died. And I did go visit my mother. And the book was about to be published. But I gave her the manuscript before it was published because she was in it so much. I felt I owed that to her. And I really thought she would never speak to me again because there were some difficult things in there. Um, but she called me the next morning. She said to me, oh, yeah, maybe I'll get around to reading it. And she called me the next morning, early the next morning and said, she never said whether she liked it or didn't. And she still hasn't to this day, but she said, I love you, Anne. And I hadn't heard that in about 20 years. And I think what happened is she saw the love I had for her through my book. And it's been a miracle because over the last two years we have reconciled and built our relationship back to where it was. And she said to me, sometimes in terms of religion, we have to agree to disagree. And that 
was amazing to me that she could say that because that's all I ever wanted. So we have quite a wonderful relationship now and I'm very thankful and it was very, I had no idea that that would happen. Life is full of surprises and it's never too late for reconciliation with people that you've lost touch with, providing one person and sometimes two are willing to change. Wow, that's amazing. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Did you read um, Educated? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yes, I've read Educated. I mean, her her upbringing was more extreme than mine. You know, uh, her father was a real renegade and mistrustful of government and the abuse. I mean, I never had any abuse, anything like that. I had nothing but love. Uh, another book that really affected me, and I was thrilled that she gave me a testimonial on my book jacket, was Martha Beck. She, she's a columnist for Oprah Magazine. Uh, she wrote a book called Leaving the Saints, I think almost 20 years ago or 15 years ago, about leaving Mormonism. And that book was a huge inspiration to me because, uh, you know, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, some of those religions are very harsh when you leave. And um, she wrote about the difficulty and the pain of losing her family. And her book was a real inspiration for me. I hope my book inspires some people. I've had one of the reasons I wrote it is I wanted people to see that you can leave a fundamentalist faith and still have a sense of spirituality in your life and that you can survive. I mean, it's a loss when you lose your family. It's painful and traumatic, but um, you can find a spiritual essence in yourself or practices that can sustain you and you know none of us get to midlife without some kind of loss right I just read this great quote that midlife is an education or growing older is an education and loss we all have some kind of loss that is the universal truth and it's something that connects all of us and when we can speak honestly about our losses we see that we're not alone and um, and there's that idea again of being part of a tribe you know and, and not being alone. One of the things I do here in Hamilton is I run a storytelling event called the Six Minute Memoir. Folks can Google it if they want. And I invite 12 people to get up on stage and share a real true life story from their life. And uh, about 250 people come out to these events. I hold them twice a year. The last two were on Zoom. And people share the honest truth of their lives in artful ways. And it's a way to feel connected. You know, that's why we read memoir, right? It's why we look through uh, people's living room windows when we drive by in our cars at night. We're so curious about other people's lives. What makes them tick? How do they make it work? How do they deal with loss? Um, so I think uh, sharing, sharing our truths is really, really valuable to us and to other people. Wow. And amazing. So as we pull into our close for our little podcast here, what I always like to do is ask for tips or tricks um, for people who may be searching for the same thing as you are. They may be coming out of a fundamentalist religion. Um, they may be in some kind of other constrained situation and they're afraid of taking the first steps or making it happen. What advice do you have for them in terms of moving forward and not being afraid? Well, what I did, I would suggest doing what I did, which is learn from other people who have been there, you know, especially if you're, you know, whether you're trapped in a fundamentalist religion or you're trapped in a bad marriage or you're trapped in an addiction or you're trapped in an unhappiness cycle, you know, um, learn from other people who have been there. Memoirs are a wonderful way to delve into other people's lives and learn from them because most memoirs are written with a purpose and, 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 and the, the writer has figured out something, you know, that you can learn from. 
I would say get therapy if you can, you know, uh, look at Dr. Marlene Winnell and if it's a fundamentalist issue, she's a, the best resource in the world for this sort of thing. She's helped thousands of people negotiate leaving religion. I would say, um, you know, listen to yourself. Glennon Doyle, her book Untamed, a fantastic memoir about trusting your own intuition. I mean, her life was hell, right? She had a philandering husband. She had addictions, eating disorders. I mean, she, she was a mess. And her book Untamed... Um, uh, really is about trusting yourself, trusting your own intuition. And, and in that line, I would say one of the things I talk about in my book too is be careful how you talk to yourself. Women are masters at cutting up themselves, at being very hard on your, themselves. I'm, I'm quoting a Canadian writer who just wrote a memoir called Shrewd. And the opening line is, the voice in your head is an asshole. <laughs> we can be so kind to our friends and family and so hard on ourselves. And this takes a toll. Um, I think I read a British survey that said the average woman criticizes herself 23 times a day. Um, and so I would really, uh, you know, really, really look at that. How are you talking to yourself? I've made a conscious effort when I wake up in the morning to say something kind to myself. Uh, we would never speak to our friends the way we speak to ourselves so often. So I would say pay attention to that and, and that can create a shift. And, you know, in the age of COVID, it is so hard to connect with others. I mean, I'm thrilled I'm connecting with you on Zoom. Zoom has opened up possibilities and, uh, you know, we can communicate still and see each other. But a lot of people are lonely and finding it very difficult, especially elderly people in nursing homes. It's, it's just tragic what's going on. And I think it's a stark reminder of just how much we need each other and how we have to find ways to create our tribe whether that's finding a spiritual community, a drumming circle, a book club, uh, you know, the Kogi club, like what you're creating for women, find a way to connect because everything in life is better if you don't go it alone. That is one thing I know for sure. Those are words said like a true Covey Club woman. That is the <laughs> whole reason why I started the Covey was yeah. not to be alone. And we all end up feeling like we're on this journey by ourselves and we are not. And it's mostly because people don't tell the truth and they pretend. And so the whole point is to not pretend. That's right. To be vulnerable. You know, it's it's hard to be vulnerable because our greatest fear is, is rejection from the tribe. And as soon as we're vulnerable and say, well, this is what happened to me, we fear rejection. But it's ironic. What usually happens is we become we are embraced. We're embraced when we share the truth of our lives. Um, so I think uh, I think what you've done is remarkable. And the subjects that you cover are the real subjects that women are dealing with. And, and, you know, to not have to go it alone is a wonderful thing. So thank you for what you've created. And Anne, thank you so much for doing our podcast today. So appreciate it. And I hope that everybody will go out there and read My Year of Living Spiritually by Anne Bookma. Thank you so much. If folks want to get in touch with me, they can through my website, annbookma.com. That's bookma with one O. And thank you so much, Leslie, for having me. Great. So thank you for being with us and listening to our discussion about spirituality with Anne Bookma. Wow, all is all I can say. I am so blown away by women who have so much 
energy and fortitude and guts in how they do these things. I just am so blown away by people like Anne. And I'm just thrilled that you joined us for this discussion. And I hope that if you have something you're struggling with that is in that area, this will give you inspiration as well as steps and tips and tricks and books to read to move you forward. That's the whole idea behind Reinvent Yourself podcast. And if you like us, please subscribe, leave us a note, leave us a quote, and give us some stars if you can. Pass us to your friends. We want to be helpful to everybody. There are over a hundred stories now out there that we've done. Our goal is to make everybody's transformation easier. And if you like what we're doing here, come on over to the Covey Club. The Covey Club is our website where we have content written all by the best journalists in the world. And you can join us on our weekly webinars and classes where we work on transformation. That's the whole idea. And it can be everything from beauty to your LinkedIn to how to write a resume to should you buy a business instead of starting one? We've got everything there for you. And um, we're happy to, to bring new people in and we're happy to welcome you into our wonderful world called the Cubby Club. So thank you for joining us and see you next time.